Northern New York Community Podcasts, stories from the heart of our community. Welcome to this edition of the Northern New York Community Podcast. I'm your host, Max Del Signor. Before we get started, I just want to recognize our supporters, WPBS-TV and the Northern New York Community Foundation, two organizations who believe in the importance of these stories, sharing them in the community and on this platform. The podcast just isn't possible without them. We appreciate their support and thank all of you for tuning in. One of the great joys in life is giving. When we give, it is a testament to believing in something greater than yourself. It is a sacrifice you make, resulting not only in community betterment, but personal fulfillment. Bob and Jean Sturtz understand sacrifice, hard work, and belief in the things that make a community prosper. These are just a couple of the values that are at the center of their lifetime of philanthropy. Few have demonstrated love for the community and the North Country like they have. It's an absolute joy to have Bob and Jean here to share their story and talk about the importance of philanthropy on the podcast. And along with me today as well is Randy Richardson, who's the executive director of the Northern New York Community Foundation. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. To, to start, I wanted to expand on the value of giving back and what that means to, to you, Bob and Jean, and especially the why. Why do you feel it's important to give back to the community and the area where you grew up? Well, I think that several ways to, to rationalize this. I think it starts as a child, uh, whether you're brought up with the idea that uh, you're to save something and you do some good with something and so on. And, uh, and it is a nice feeling and hopefully you can give to the things that you like to see progress and you like to see uh, going forward uh, as, a, as a positive thing for the community as a whole. I, my gut feeling has always been that I would rather give directly than to pay taxes with the hope that some of that money might come back because while it may come back, it's certainly a, a very small part of what they take from you. That's the world we live in. That's the efficiency of bureaucracy, I guess. Do you remember some of the, the first things with your family, with your parents, that um, you volunteered for, gave back to when you were children? Well, being a boy, and I was uh, uh, seven years old, I guess, when the war got going in 1940, uh, 41, and so we were constantly working towards a war effort, and that was a great feeling. You went out, you did everything from collect uh, papers, and I lived quite rural in a very small community, uh, but uh, my father worked in a, a facility where they would take that for, for recycling, uh, but we did, there was a little country school I went to at that time, did the same thing, we collected everything you could think of. Uh, little sideline joke is my grandmother, uh, who was born in Switzerland, but came here as a little girl, uh, she was crushing cans and, and uh, you know, cleaning them out and crushing them for the war effort. She went to a ladies' meeting once, and they told her, you know where those things go? They go for making caps for beer bottles. She never saved another can. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was that type of an environment that I grew up in. And, uh, and you felt needed and you felt like you were accomplishing something. And yes, some of this you did turn in for, for, uh, for money. Uh, pop bottles were worth two cents a piece. You bought them, found them wherever you could on, on the dumps and whatever. And there were lots of those around at that time. And you washed them clean and got your two cents and so on. And, uh, 
and it went from there. There were certain obligations to uh, Sunday school and church and what have you. But, uh, that's kind of what I remember of it. The church has been very important to, to both of you, and I know we'll touch on that a little later on, but was that really the environment for both of you where some of these first philanthropic principles kind of were instilled in you? Well, uh, Jane, of course, uh, uh, lived a little more in, in outside in the country, and I certainly was country, but there were a row of houses on either side in the town, the village of Nomburg, uh, and uh, I, I think uh, we got a lot of it at school. I, I know they would come, the school superintendent would come, uh, it was a Mr. Seely in my case, and uh, tell us uh, what a car battery would do, and you could somehow, whether there was enough lead in there to make an anti-aircraft shell, and then you hoped that one would bring down a, 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 an enemy plane. Uh, and then, of course, when you went to saw the movies, you saw that they threw thousands of those shells up there. Uh, maybe you got the plane, maybe you didn't, but <laughs> I, think, I think we lived through that period of time when, and there was a great, uh, I think it, no matter where you lived in this north country at least, there was a great sense of, uh, of uh, patriotism and uh, you, you were behind it. There wasn't a soul that didn't know someone close to them that was overseas. Uh, and then of course there was the local war effort and all of those things. But. Gene, did you see the same thing when you were growing up um, as a child and you grew up in Lewis County? Mm -hmm. Did you see some of those same um, efforts, the same kind of sentiments, you know, patriotism for country? What were some of the things that stood out to you? Yeah, we did. Um, we used to bring um, cans to, to school, clean cans. I don't know what the reason was, but it was for the war effort, they said. And we were taught, we were taught all the while that what was happening out there, and it was, it was scary. You come to value things. Uh, I don't think we realize today, many people uh, that didn't go through that period of time, that everything was rationed uh, from sugar to shoes to uh, tires or what have you. Uh, we went, went down to the country school or wherever you went to school, uh, and, and there was a lot of uh, small uh, uh, first grade to uh, eight and then they cut them to six and then they sent them later closed the whole thing off and went to the centralized schools but uh, uh, we went to the school at night and uh, identified to get your stamps so that you could buy certain certain things and fuel got to where my father only drove a, a little less than a mile to work so he had the lowest grade of, of, uh, of uh, fuel uh, uh, allocated uh, for his availability and uh, so we, you just didn't go for rides. You just didn't do any of these things. Uh, it was about five years where uh, even the cars that people, I have a, a brother-in-law uh, who, whose father was in the car business, and all the new cars were, were locked up, and he kept them there. They didn't come and get his till the war was over, but he couldn't sell them. And uh, that, that's how desperate that period of time was. And, uh, and, uh, and we really... Followed the uh, the news was all radio, but you just followed it every night. There was half a dozen well-known names that come on, and and some it really scared you. Like uh, some of them weren't that all that positive either. So it seems in that in that era when you were kids, communities were very close knit. Um, families were were close. Lot worked in the same industry, um, and I think in a lot of ways it appears that maybe some of the same values were shared. Some of the things that you learned as kids. 
you touched on a couple of things, you know, sacrifice, hard work, ration. What were some more of those personal values that have kind of infiltrated your philanthropy today that you learned as a kid? I think it messed me all up because it gave me a great sense of material values and uh, more so than I ought to have. But uh, not that I need to hoard it all. I, I do believe in, in uh, the, uh, I don't need to mention it as being biblical, but I really believe that what, what, everything you take in isn't necessarily for you. It, it should be used. Uh, the parts of the world where that first percentage of giving isn't given to the church or to, to your faith, but it's given to the poor to help those that, uh, that can't help themselves and so on. So, Gene, what other values do you think you were taught either by your parents, um, you know, through school or through the church that are some of the same values that you've carried on through your adult life today? Well, they're, they're, they're just similar to what he's been saying. Just try to help anybody you could. There were a lot of people in need, really. Yeah, there was a lot of people. Picture that the uh, Depression, uh, born in the height of it, and it, and it lasted well into the early 40s till the, the, uh, the monies being spent for the war effort uh, came into being. And, and, uh, and, and yet it wasn't as like you see the terrible lines in the cities, major cities, where they went around the block, people with no, no job and, and no food, and uh, waiting for handouts, and we were close to head riots in some cities. The North Country was quite different. Uh, while I did, neither one of us lived on a farm, uh, you did have a, a vegetable garden, and, and many, many places had a small farm, and then perhaps the, uh, the, the male of the family would work elsewhere. And then, of course, the big change was, as the war got going, my mother went to work in the war effort. And, uh, and of course, she came home when it was over, but many, many Rosie the Riveters did not do that. They, they stayed in the workforce. And I think we had a wonderful system that absorbed all of that. What do you remember about how the North Country changed post-war, when everybody kind of came, started to come back home? and getting resettled in this area. How did, how did the, the communities begin to change? Well, goods and services are well avail readily available again. Uh, the shocking thing to me, there was a very short period of time when we thought we had peace in the world, and the next thing we knew, the Russians came out with, the, uh, with an atomic bomb. Uh, I remember listening to the uh, trials for Ethel Rosenberg, I believe it was, uh, from giving away secrets, uh, whether that was like it was portrayed or not. We, we're not sure to this day, I guess. But uh, uh, So we went from a, a relaxing peacetime to almost back to another crisis, it seemed. And uh, as, as I've grown through the years, I've realized that that's been going on for thousands of years. <laughs> You know, there's been a few times when you had 100 years of peace in Europe, but we've also had 100 years of war in Europe, so. Well, that's something that still impacted this community at that, at that time, even though the war effort was, um, you know, kind of a, had a, a global presence. It still had quite the impact here locally, uh, and particularly on industry, to a certain degree. I can mention one thing that kept slipping in my mind here. I remember, uh, of course, as a child, you, you absorb and hear a lot more than people realize. And it would have probably been in, in the uh, 
That's before we left, uh, before we moved into the new house in 41. So it would have been 39 or 40. And I remember uh, not sleeping well. And uh, had, my mother had to tell me that they weren't drafting boys my age. Because I had that fear. thought they would be coming to get me. And, uh, of course, at that time, too, we knew it was going on in Europe uh, uh, in, many, in many parts where uh, 14 year olds and whatever. And I wasn't 14 at that time. But, but that was something said my prayers. I guess that's when I brought it up. That, and I was said, kind of put at rest with the idea that I was not part of that uh, trap at that point in time. So, Gene, when you started working at well, you have worked at St. Regis Paper Company in DeFerriot. You were there for a period of time. You worked at the air break, and many families or family members were at the air break uh, in those, those earlier years. What do you remember about life being like working in those two, two different industries? Life was pleasant. The work was pleasant. The people were pleasant. I was from Lines Falls, so I was, had to live with somebody, with a family. And they were just, just like mother and father to you. They took you in and enjoyed your company, and I enjoyed being there. Were you the only one that lived with uh, the family here locally, too, or were there other folks that worked either at the mill or at the air break at that time? The man of the house worked at the, at the that would air break. the paper mill. Yeah, the paper mill, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it like going from Lyons Falls and then moving to DeFerria to be close to where you would go to work every day, but being with a different family, what was that environment like for you? Well, thanks to Bob, it was it was all right because he kept <laughs> he'd come and take me out. The, it's a little tiny place, you know. The ferry is pretty small. wasn't much to do, so we were going to get it at the time. You were fortunate too, though, in in the, when you lived right in the ferry, uh, a good friend of your father's. Uh, uh, was the self-eyed superintendent, uh, Mr. Jerky, and, and I think you stayed with them for a while, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And so they were not relatives, but but friends of the family, kind of a thing. Because he, uh, as a super, superintendent of sulfide, he'd moved to many mills. In fact, uh, after uh, when we were married, we went to Millinocket, Maine, to uh, which was one long drive that across Maine, I can tell you, and. Uh, and he was up there at that mill at that time, and uh, we stayed a couple, three days there. And uh, we, uh, Jean can tell, tell you about the log drives and seeing the, the logs piled up yet at the mill in Lyons Falls. Uh, they drove the Moose River right up until uh, probably 47, 48, and uh, it was something to see. How, how often would, well, I should backtrack. So when you were at St. Regis Paper Company and Bob would come to see you, um, how long had you been together at that time? How did you initially meet, uh, being from different communities in, in Lewis County? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I met uh, you, at a, you at a Polish dance, I think it was. <laughs> and I love to polka. Oh, okay. He doesn't dance for, doesn't like to. Oh, I'm good at it, but I'm not a polka. Not dancer. a polka. <laughs> One, one swing around, and a friend of mine, and, and uh, somewhat older, and uh, we both had cars, but uh, uh, I went with him one night, and we, we stopped there, and it was a, I think it was a, uh, it was a, uh, maybe the results of a wedding or something, or maybe not, they used to have those, but uh, uh, it was over uh, halfway to Boonville, that Houseville, I think it was, and 
Uh, he said, oh, somebody I want you to meet. And he went over and introduced me to Gene, but he really didn't know Gene either. But he was that kind of a, a promoter. I mean, he was always, <laughs> he, knew, he knew everybody. And if he didn't know you well, he still knew you. You know, that's in the days, and he was kind of the guy who would walk around with a cigarette behind his ear. I'll tell you how old we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's World War II stuff. But did the polka clinch it for you? I want to go back to that for one second. <laughs> he still does some polka. No. Has no interest in dancing. No. No, I uh, went to see a couple of times, board my father's car, and uh, one time I was driving uh, late, and I kind of run late and behind somebody, and they didn't go around the corner I thought they were going to. They went straight up a, a dirt road, and, and I rolled the car over. Uh, and. Uh, I thought, well, I probably can fix it, and of course it was beyond fix, and, uh, and uh, so Dad got a, a, a much nicer car, and my mother insisted that I get my own car, so, and that was, uh, uh, that's, that's the night I didn't get to see Jane. She was still living in Lines Falls, and, and I called and said, well, I have a little issue here. Uh, so. Roll the car over. That's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> And from that, uh, I think I borrowed someone's car a couple of times. It went on for quite a while. Uh, Forever. We're still here. <laughs> is, is it okay to just interject? I have a question related to that. Is it yeah. okay, sort of in the interest of free-flowing? So, you know, I've known you for a long time and your children, certainly, and, and uh, you probably get asked this a lot, but I'd like to hear it from both of you. What do you attribute to the success of your your marriage, uh, you know, in today's world, it is a, an accomplishment. What, from both sides, what would you say has kept you in your strong marriage together? I still love him. Okay. Well, we were busy supporting each other, I think. Uh, Jane certainly had her hands full, and there were times when I felt neglected, literally, because she did what a mother's supposed to do, and she looked after, you know, one of the five children. They were spread out, as you know. Bobby was the youngest child uh, at your age, and... Uh, and uh, Susie was about uh, 14 years older, maybe something like that, and uh, and uh, and two other, three other sisters in between. So we we had children for a long time, and and that was great. Well, the story was we ended up renting uh, in in Watertown for about a year. I was sent to Messina when they built the seaway. We were there about six and a half years, and and of course as it went down, it was hard to sell. Houses. It was just lots of them. We were in a small house that was built for PlanCor for the uh, for the uh, aluminum works when Alcoa. Well, it wasn't Alcoa. It was the government came in and built an aluminum plant. Later sold it to Alcoa when the war was over. We lived in one of those houses. It was fairly nice. A story and a half. Uh, adequate. It was on a circle. It was called Homecroft Circle. Homecroft Housing. Uh, built in the 40s. And uh, when I was transferred back to Watertown to head up the sales department and, co and travel the area pretty much, Gene uh, was left there because we couldn't sell the house for quite some time. We bought a house from Daryl Ripetaw over on Washington Street and uh, it needed some doing. Every house does, even if it's just because you're a different person. And, uh, and we went on that and finally we rented the house and got Gene back here. And uh, we had uh, two children, and then the third child was born after we came back. And uh, that's where you, you first knew us, probably, yeah. was on, 
on Washington Street. So, so Gene, if, if you were going to give advice to someone that's just starting out in a marriage, what are the two or three things that you would say, this is what I've learned about how to have a happy marriage? First of all, um, you should both belong to the same church, and you should go, go to church and take part in everything that the church offers. And, and you should agree on how you're going to raise your children. I mean, you can't, one can't be the whole boss. We, have, we shared that. What else? You have to make those decisions together, not in yeah. front of the children. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they, but we really, they're brighter than you think. They'll play you off. <laughs> and, and just to pick up on that, and then I'll, I'll go back to Max. But in the respect of that in your marriage and, and the decisions and such, how do you view your philanthropy both as a couple and as individuals? Um, how do you make that work because you know you're going to have some things that you like and some things that you like and how does that work in a marriage when that's an important part of your life i don't know it seems like we always just agreed on what we should be doing mm-hmm. we, we had a similar mindset i'm sure uh, we also were very busy uh, as far as there wasn't a lot of idle time because we all had we had things we wanted to do together. We built a kitchen, the same kitchen, I think, three times. Uh, uh, some of it was my idea, some was Jean's. I came home once and Jean had decided that there was a petition there that w- w- would make her kitchen much nicer. And she took a hammer to it, but when she got the, through the plaster and the last, she realized there was pipes in there. Uh, so then, and wires and old gosh. Yeah, so yeah. so, so we had some of those. But... Uh, uh, it is so important that uh, that uh, in in life that you that you not not hold things things that upset you for the moment need to pass and go go beyond and not be brought back in your mind or between you. Uh, uh, blame and blame is a terrible thing and it generally involves everybody, and and I think avoiding that has been a great thing. Uh, Touching on one thing too that you, you just shared when deciding on the level of support, either of your time, your talent, your resources, to giving to something in the community, what are the expectations that you have that you want to see if you're going to, to, to be willing to, to support something in this area? Well, it's a strange answer. There are a lot of great causes, and, and uh, you may not agree with the way they go about doing it, but on the other hand, I always have to remind myself that I'm too busy doing my own thing, so I'm not participating in in the uh, in the uh, methodology uh, uh, with the uh, how it's being done, or whether it's wasted or not wasted. Uh, you, you can find all kinds of excuses why not to do something, and 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 that's wrong. You, you really shouldn't. If you're not willing to be part of it, then then uh, 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 don't participate, and or. Uh, Funded if you can. I, I think Jean can give a, a great answer there as to how this whole whole thing started uh, when we were in Messina. We had a minister who lost his hand in a bus uh, over in New England as a boy, 
and, and he was an interesting man. He had a couple of daughters and a wife, and they lived in the parsonage next door. And, and he's the one that, that had said, if you will tithe. And then he said, well, we're just getting by. And he said, well, yeah. that's probably true. But you'll find you'll have more if, if you, if, and you don't, you, you can't tithe from what's, from what's left because most of us don't have anything left. We live in that time when uh, they can get your interest somewhere to put your, your uh, resources and, and your savings or whatever. So we started doing that. And that was, at that time, you know, it was 10% of, of uh, you know, there's always a discussion, well, it's after taxes, yes, but it was 10%. <laughs> right. and, and, uh, and it did make a whole difference in our life from that day on. But, but we had the opportunity to help people a few times, too. Uh, we were sent out to a house. So it was the saddest thing I ever saw. This woman was out trying to split wood to keep the, the place warm. It was in the winter in Messina, and we took a bag of groceries out, and it turned out that she, she needed some wood split as, as well as a bag of groceries. But, you know, when you saw some of those hardships... So Bob split wood. Yeah. I said. <laughs> you probably I, I piled, maybe it. piled it, but I didn't split and it. I don't know how long we were there, but I just remember the sadness. And, and she was alone with, with children, if I remember right, and uh, a very, very poor place. But, and, and there's a lot of that, no matter where you go, you don't have to, you don't have to travel far to find it. Uh, what, what do you think um, is our responsibility as a community or yours or to make sure that the next generation, those that come after us, um, understand this like you do. Tell me about your feelings on the importance of that and, and how you think we get that message across. It's certainly important and it becomes so difficult, particularly in the society that we're living in. Uh, well, you don't have the community as much as you did. You know, uh, back in the 40s and 50s and whatever, <clears throat> You knew so many people in the immediate area that you went to school with, and, and many of them stayed later on. Uh, education was, was different. You, you maybe went to a high school or up in, in the more agrarian society. Uh, that wasn't even necessary when they were able to get, I think it was uh, 16, they would, they would, Dad said, you know enough, I need help on the farm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of that went on. Uh, but how do you promote to, the giving, the only thing you can hope for is example. I know of nothing else that makes much sense. And, and it's so easy, you know, it's, it's so easy to come up with, with, with rationale in your own mind, like, well, if I had his job, I would do that too. If I had his means, that guy you're speaking about didn't start there, in most cases. Well, and I think, you know, part of one of the main reasons we're doing this is uh, 50 years from now when we're replaying these stories, we want to make sure that the, the next generation can hear from your own experiences and your own thoughts why this is important because there was a whole group before you that hoped that you would do it. And so, you know, part of why we're doing this is so that when I'm gone and you're gone and Max is gone, that we still have a community that's vibrant and, and all the things we like. And, and one of the, just on that, that note, if you had to re leave the area and move away, what would you say you would miss most about the North Country? 
it's still a relatively peaceful place to live. <laughs> uh, you know, it's some different than it was when we came back here in 61, but uh, uh, even here, it's surprising. You know, I grew up in two little towns. And my, my dad worked in Casterland, and my grandparents were there, and I was there much of the time. And I don't know the population, but I knew everybody there, and they knew me, which meant as a little boy. <laughs> sure. Where it'll get back, you know, yeah. <laughs> before you get home. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, so that, of course, that has all changed. And, uh, but we're, we're forcing children to grow up so, so early on, and, and, uh, and it's, there's all kinds of uh, factors in that. Certainly, uh, uh, it's focus on sexuality and, and, and uh, young people, and to the point of little children are developing uh, much sooner than they did. Uh, I see the paper two days ago talked about a girl 13 going off to college. Uh, she's probably ready in some ways, mentally, but uh, you know, what happens to childhood? Childhood is supposed to be a good time. Uh, and I think it has been for most of us in the past. Uh, you have some nice memories, some lessons you learn. Uh, you know, I remember coming home with something, my mother said, where'd you get that? Well, that was a plank, and I was always collecting wood or doing something. It was a walkway, and I said, well, I got over there. I said, well, you better take right back. You know? <laughs> I wasn't brought up with fear. I, I really, I think, uh, for not coming home right from school once, my dad gave me a, a couple of whacks and made me sit down. But my, the discipline I grew up with was he had a tremendous grip, and he'd take you by the arm and set you in the chair. <laughs> Got the point across, yeah. right? Something I remember well that I serves me, and it bothers me to see my grandkids doing it. Uh, I had a cap pistol, and I stood out by the corner, and the neighbor was pumping water out of the well, and I bang, banged at him, and Dad saw it. He locked the cap pistol up with his guns, and I bet, I bet I was six weeks before I had nerve enough to ask for it. And, and <laughs> The response was, do you know how to handle it properly? And now, you know, when I see this, and, and even, it bothers me even with squirt guns because there's so much violence, and you see so much of it on television that, you know, life, talk about life mattering, well, it, it doesn't seem to matter much. Uh, it's almost like uh, there's nothing final about being, being uh, run over with a car or, or hit or something. So these are terrible messages that we're sending to young minds. Uh, Many of them can handle it very well, but it, as we've seen lately, there's a, there's a number of people out there over time with problems. We no longer lock them up until they've done something. And, and, uh, so I'm not sure that's, that's a good response to it, but uh, uh, I, I am concerned about uh, uh, things generally can only get about so bad, and they do get better. And uh, that, that's something that has been going on a long time. Because the communities are changing so much, how important is it then to share with this next generation, as Randy alluded to before, how important is it to share with um, this, the younger demographic why giving back can really impact the region or how it can affect the future of the region? Why is giving back so important to this area for this next generation? It can do more for you in, in giving back than it does for the people you give it to. 
It, it really does. I guess it goes back to my grandmother. I've heard her tell it, or, or my grandfather saying, if you work for a man, work for a man. And, and if, if you don't like that, then find somewhere else to work. But uh, you don't necessarily like some jobs. I do things that I just, I'm sure most of us do. It might be writing a report, and you, the sooner you do it, the better, but you, you just don't like it. Uh, I like the, uh, the thought behind it, the energy it takes, the, men the mental uh, process. But in most cases, if when you finish, you feel good about it, that's quite a reward. And the reward is in the accomplishment. Uh, and looking back and saying, you know, doesn't that, that wall look better? I fixed that wall or I, I, uh, I trimmed the tree or I did this or that. And, and the process is, is sometimes is laborious. But the, uh, the, uh, the good feeling you can get from it, and I think that's what's driven both of us uh, in, in many cases over time. You don't think about it but until, you, until you come back and try to explain why you did what you did. Well, and I think that's an important message because I think there's so many people who never experienced the joy of giving, either because they just didn't think they were capable, because they didn't think they had the ability, or they just never explored it. Um, but I think and you've said that, um, I mean, don't you think giving back is an important part of citizenship and just a vibrant, healthy, productive life? I do, and I think the crop out often is, well, uh, someone else will do it. It's like, you know, we have a daughter that will, will throw a wrapper on the ground and walk away, and she said, well, they get paid to pick that up. Well, you know, if they are getting paid, they're probably being paid with tax dollars that, that we're still paying for. And, and so it's so easy to push it off to the idea that uh, or a little bit doesn't make any difference. Maybe, maybe you can only give uh, 10 cents or a dollar a week to whatever it is you believe in. But, uh, but it's important if everyone did that. You know, the, the, uh, I, I think it I just think it's terrible that uh, that we spend so, some. I think I'm all for the military monies we spend, but what bothers me is the the amount of food we have in storage here, with the world starving, and many of our problems overseas. Just getting out of line here. Come from poverty, come from being hungry. You know, you promised me something worth a try. I mean, here I am with nothing or hurting very badly. So. Uh, as a, as a nation, we're, we're not as generous as we should be, and yet we, we're head and shoulders above the rest of the world. But we have the means and the wherewithal to do so much more. You know, I know some of the gifting we've done has been turned against us, and it looks like it came from, from our very uh, adversaries, <laughs> and all that goes on. I, I, I knew a fellow telling about watching, watching uh, the communists with a big stamp hitting every bag of wheat that came off the truck uh, with their stamp, and sure, we get taken. But if you, if you refuse to participate or if you refuse to give because it may not be well used or, or it may be wasted, uh, that's a crop out too, that's a crop out. Some is, of course, nothing is 100%. One of the things that you have committed to um, and have been strong supporters of is one time having the Black River Valley Club being such a strong local institution, civic group in this area, and the repurposing of that building to what's going to become the Northern New York Philanthropy Center. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to give to a project of that magnitude 
knowing the potential impact that that's going to have. Just a nice feeling, I guess, as much as anything. Uh, I am. I was very pleased with what Randy put together with the idea that that the identity of the Black River Valley Club will still remain in the front of the building. I think that's great. It was another era uh, between uh, Dr. Veneenum and myself. We did everything we could think of, along with a lot of other people, uh, and it just was the wrong time. Times have changed. Uh, people people live a little different lifestyle. People have different needs and demands. You know, that flourished when there were more millionaires in Watertown per capita than there was anywhere in the United States. So we don't have that anymore. We still have them, uh, but being a millionaire isn't what it used to be either. You still use the same numbers, but uh, you're probably not going to do anything long that you don't get a good feeling from, or you don't feel satisfied by doing it, uh, or you don't uh, hope that it will do some good. You don't necessarily need your name on it. You gotta live with yourself. What others think about you is, is, is not that, over time, that comes and goes. <laughs> Obviously the building is symbolically important to you and your investment and commitment to that institution, but beyond that, based on what you know of what we're trying to do there, what appeals most to you in terms of um, this next phase of the Community Foundation's impact in the community, what that you believe is going to go on in there is going to be lasting and of value to the community? Well, you're going to you'll probably delete this. <laughs> 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 I do wonder sometimes if, if we're becoming such a social society that more and more people are going to live with their hands out, and, and that does bother me. There'll always be great needs, uh, and, and they need to be—they need to be addressed, and they need something to be done about them. And you can't just wait till it till they explode upon you. You have to plan and and uh, garner uh, ahead so that that's conceivable to do that. Uh, as I say, I, I, socially, I don't like the direction we're headed, but uh, that'll turn around too, hopefully someday. I think it's it's very important. I have problems with this nonprofit thing. I wish they'd quit talking about nonprofits. You can't run a nonprofit. You either make money or you lose money. So, yes, it's non-taxable. That's okay, but but I have trouble with the idea that that uh, oh we just we're nonprofit. We run a boy. It takes a some accountant to run down the line and never have a plus or a minus. You know you can't do that. So you got to plan for profitability to to exist and to grow and to go on. And uh, there's nothing wrong with profit's not a dirty word. And uh, I know the reason it's called nonprofit is from a tax standpoint. And, and I've, nobody's uh, supposedly taken, taken any of it home with them uh, other than the salary that they earn. But uh, maybe more so as I've gotten older and been, uh, had some success together here, we have. Uh, I've become uh, uh, expecting people to be able to do more for themselves. And, and I think they do need to do more for themselves. I think, uh, I think staying active for many, for the most part, uh, as to uh, a longer life. Certainly, a more content and happier life. Uh, the sense of accomplishment, uh, or or the sense that I paid my way, or you know, you see these, you see people every now and then. There's someone who worked as a janitor in one of the major cities, puts his 
four or five kids all through college and, and still has a nest egg, that's because he didn't spend ahead of his earnings, you know, and plus he, he was, he knew how to manage his own means. If I could advise uh, grade schools and, and, and junior highs to teach people how to, how to spend their money and how to get, get value, I think we do that very poorly. And I think it's very important. Some of these kids won't get into high school or won't get beyond high school. And if you can just give them a sense of values, uh, maybe it's being done more than I realize, but I, I think there's a great need there. Do you, so in, on that res, in that respect, I mean, how both of you, for either of you, clearly you've been successful. You've been successful in many of your endeavors. How do you explain your success? God is good. It's a, really. Yeah, yeah. You take a and, chance, and, that's right. And part of it is good health. You know, lots of people are cut down, but they don't necessarily pass away, but they, they don't have the, the uh, wherewithal, the energy, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, desires to, to go forward. A positive outlook is very helpful. Uh, I think reading the right books doesn't hurt. <laughs> you don't have to agree with all of it, but it's going to have an effect on you. From a business perspective, explain your success from a business perspective. Well, that's, that's fairly easy. <laughs> I say it is. I, I spent 30 years working for a firm and I stayed there so it must have been okay. But I saw so many things done that were counterproductive that, that hurt their own business. It was a small family business and uh, they, uh, they were, there was jealousy involved, didn't want anybody to get ahead too much. I saw the owner get all upset once because a man who'd been with him quite a long time bought a colored TV and he didn't have one. The boss didn't have one. Who does he think he is? You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, treating people well, and you can only, and first of all, I think I said it before, but you can put me down for saying there are no bargains in labor, because I really believe that. You could write a book on the fact that you can't get more than you pay for long term. You might get lucky. Yes, uh, uh, I knew Mr. Cooper well, and he had some of the most dedicated people, and they weren't overpaid, I can assure you. But they were, but it was a different day. Some of those people came back, came through that period when just having a job was important. I had contractors work for me when I was in Messina who told about their father here in town, here, masonry contractors. They'd have a big job going to come out on the morning, Monday morning, and grab some guy, might be the best worker you had, grab him by the shirt and say, get out of here. Scare the hell out of everybody. That's so everybody would, because you couldn't find another job. Sure. What a cruel thing to do. So, uh, you know, we all have to work for a living. Uh, and, uh, and at this point, I'm working for the government, but, uh, but it is really, it really is, uh, it's all about selecting good people, but treating them right. And uh, if you got, you know, we have 100 plus people, so it's very important to have the personnel guy having that same, and I try to, to treat people and they, they reciprocate. If the way you get along with others is a reciprocal thing, and, and you'll find it playing back and forth and working very well. Uh, being in the right place at the right time, you can't take that away. You know? And, and uh, I have to say God led me to that because I was 50 years old, 40, 49 I guess, something like that, after 30 years with the, 
with the other firm, and uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew that uh, the income that I expected uh, at that age is pretty hard to find, a sales manager or a technician or whatever, you know. And uh, this thing was owned by my neighbor across the street, and he kept showing some interest to Mr. Wardwell. And uh, that was a Wardwell colony there. there yes, was several there was. There was. And uh, he came over one day and wanted to know what I was what I planned on doing. We put a pool in. I didn't have a job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we had kids. We smart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and we had about 70 uh, uh, rental units that had to be looked after. And uh, everybody said, well, you've got job enough. That'll keep you busy. That's not a job. No, I, I want a job. I, I, I know I, I, I was getting a check before all those years. And, uh, and I'd had some jobs before that as well. I worked in a bank a couple of years and what have you. But uh, uh, so he said, well, maybe you ought to come over and buy Slack Chemical. And he had a partner, Mr. White. And so that afternoon, Gene and I went over to Carthage and drove around it. I hardly knew it was there, even though I was brought up seven miles away. And it was on an off street by the cemetery. And uh, so then I went back and said, well, yes, I'm interested. Well, you know, it's not that simple. I've got a partner, and we, what we really need is a manager because we can't sell it. We don't have anybody to run it, and if we were to sell it, we don't have that. So I went on as a, uh, as a sales manager, a manager of one, so, well, we had a part-time guy that was selling specialty things, and, uh, and Bill and Fred participated some, too, but... So I worked a year and a half before I bought it. And even then, right up until the last minute, didn't look like it was going to happen. We had a fellow in New Jersey that was very interested, and, and uh, then that fell through. And, uh, and uh, my neighbor was in the banking business across the street. And uh, from one afternoon till the next afternoon, we closed. And the, the uh, urgency of the whole thing was because the tax laws were changing, and they had to sell it uh, before the 31st. And uh, we made that happen, or they did. And it took me three months to get the finances worked out. But the neighbor came up with the necessary money, and, and, I, and I, they carried some of it, and then it worked just fine. But it worked because it was supposed to work, I guess, not because of anything that I did. You know, I had a good reputation. That's, that's the only thing that. Uh, it's a big thing. I'd pay our, we'd paid our bills. Gene didn't pay, and I didn't handle the money. I hadn't seen a check for, uh, prior to that for the last 25 years. I never sees a check. Well, I... You can look at it if you want. I used to forget to pay the bills, and that's when we were... I, I thought the man of the house was supposed to pay the bills, and finally Gene said, you know, probably they are, but if you want to, I will do that for you, so... Well, you weren't really fitting them all. If I remember right, you weren't always on the ball to hit them, to no. pay them when they were due. No. Well, they know we're good for it. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way it works, though. So. I always have noticed when the checks come, it's got Jean's signature on them, so I know that she's in charge of the, the bill paying. So. <laughs> well, if I can say anything, there's, uh, there's no such thing as a self-made person. Right. And, and in this case, without the two of us working together, none of this would have happened. Sure. You know? Sure. Uh, and, and I think that so often is the case. This is for posterity, so they'll all be gone by then. But if you read the uh, obituaries, and when you get to my age, you kind of tend to do that. <laughs> it gets to be ridiculous because you don't know anybody anymore. But, but, uh, but if you see the people dropping out at very young ages, now they have 
destructive habits and this and that and the other thing, but sometimes they've had two and three divorces. And that takes a lot out of people. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not a healthy thing for most people. Some people, of course, don't have any problem with that. But, but, uh, but I, I see that as an indicator of, uh, of happiness, perhaps, satisfaction with yourself and what's going on around you. When you look at the big picture and you, again, reflect on everything that you've given, everything that you've supported over your lifetime, and the values that have been taught to you, and what you've shared with your children, and maybe even some of your friends. When you're asked the question of, how do you want to be remembered at the end of the day, what would you say is the most important thing you'd want folks to, to understand about Bob and Jean Sturtz? We're Christians. <laughs> That's the first thing. I think we'd like them to remember us as being fair. That all comes under. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That doesn't mean we did everything right. It doesn't mean that somewhere you can find people that think of, you know, that son of a gun, uh, he, uh, he did this or he didn't do that. Or, and I'm sure it's out there. But uh, uh, if, if you're coming through saying, just live a perfect life, well, yeah, well, he's on a mountaintop somewhere, that guy. <laughs> uh, that's not the case at all. Uh, but you do have, hopefully, you have a focus for what, what, you, uh, what you believe in and what you want to accomplish and some kind of an idea, which is ongoing and growing. It, it's nothing that you, you don't sit down and write it up and for the rest of my life, this is me. It, it's, it's a growing, uh, it's a living, uh, not a document, but a living sense of, of uh, being, of, of thinking. Uh, uh, and you change to you change it as you as you go along. You're, we're all influenced by the people around us. I've been around a lot of people that I can't forget the way they acted, but I certainly don't want to act like or talk like that or think like that because it, it, it I find it drags me down. So, so can I just I want to that I love that question and I want to just hone in on it a little more and maybe uh, for Jean too. And I'm going to ask Jean first and then Bob. Finish the sentence for me. Jean Sturtz is? She is a wife and a mother and a neighbor and a Christian. That should have come first. Bob Sturtz is? Probably overly obsessed with his success. <laughs> 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 and that's not good. I'm, I'm not proud of that, but I... I am pleased with what we've been able to do. Uh, I would like to say that, that I have a feeling for others. Uh, I have a sense of, in, in my thinking, that <clears throat> the people that, that make us uncomfortable, the people we don't like, whether it's, whether it's racial or what it is, is primarily based on fear. I, I really think it is. And, uh, I'm awfully disappointed to see so many young ladies and young men going around. Uh, you can't tell their race anymore because they're covered, almost covered with tattoos. <laughs> if I was to disappoint my mother in her lifetime, even the smallest one would have done it. <laughs> well, I always figure if God didn't give it to me in the first place, I probably didn't need it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and, and it's, it's, it's probably harmless. But it, but it brands people 
there's a number of places that, uh, uh, that have, have rules that you, you can have your arm covered, but you keep your shirt on and keep it buttoned, you know, that kind of thing. Because it, it doesn't hurt anybody, I guess, but, it, but it, again, uh, and at least in my case, you come to associate certain activities and certain attitudes with certain levels of thought, uh, certain uh, mentalities, I guess I'd say. I don't, it doesn't sound very good, but, but it, it, it does drag people down, I think. Well, and this is probably a comment more than a question, but I think it's important to say that you know, when people come to this town and, and they're being introduced to citizens and, and neighbors, um, I think that uh, Bob and Jean Sturts are ones that we hold up as the example, the model. Um, not perfect, none of us are, but um, embody a lot of what I believe makes the North Country great. And it isn't just about giving, it's about appreciating and knowing where we came from and realizing that uh, this doesn't just happen without all of us being part of it. And I think it's important for certainly for me, and I know Max shares this for you to know, that that's widely viewed amongst this community. Um, you know, I have a relationship with you that goes back beyond that, but I've seen it both on a personal level and through my work, too. So I think it's just important for you to know that you've done that and continue to. I hope you do. I hope you know that. I hope you know that. I would add... You know, your, your spirit, I think, is the greatest gift of all to this area. It's kind of, is exactly in line with what Randy just mentioned. But given your support and everything that you've done, it's that spirit that we hope inspires next generation and those that are listening to this, mm -hmm. inspires them to follow the example that you mentioned. And I, and I think you've done a, a wonderful job demonstrating that uh, in your lifetime, and we're very grateful for that. We very much appreciate you sharing your story on the podcast with us. Thank you for coming in and being able to uh, discuss what your life has meant to this area and how much you've given to, to the North Country. Well, a lot of people have been very nice to us over time uh, at all levels. And uh, whatever you do in life, don't, don't waste your energies on, uh, on uh, getting even or, uh, or feeling uh, slighted. It's, it's done. It's over. And we have that philosophy. Uh, that Paul Pierce does our, all of our personnel, and uh, he says, as long as you keep it civil, you say whatever you like, and and uh, and it will not be held against you. And it may come to a point where I'll tell you what what my side of the thing is, but uh, uh, this, this uh, remembering that so and so said this at some time or other, and, and uh, is not a good thing. And we try to run a place that way, and. Uh, it's not easy sometimes, and and uh, some people leave uh, uh, when you, well, when it's probably the best thing for them. I have a philosophy that that it's wrong to keep someone on that's not uh, in the right place, not doing what you want, and and say, well, you know, he hasn't had a raise in ten years, so it's a pretty good deal. It's not. You're wasting his life, and you're wasting your position there. If, if it comes to that, it's better to sit down and explain that he can probably find a place that he will be happier and probably do financially do better, and and uh, and you can replace him with whatever it takes to make it work. Fortunately, I don't do the hiring anymore. So, <laughs> thank you for for being on the podcast and and sharing. Well, 
all these great values and stories. And we, we really look forward to the audience listening into this. And thanks again to every one of you for, for joining us. And we hope you'll join us again on the Northern New York Community Podcast. Northern New York Community Podcast, stories from the heart of our community.